He hit me first. I was talking to a mom about a week ago about the time her son got suspended from school for hitting another child. And it turns out the other boy started it. He hit first. And the mom's son retaliated. And of course, he was the one that got caught. The instigator got off with no punishment at all. And this mom was both supportive and at the same time just a little bit disappointed in her son. She wanted her son to defend himself, to stand up for his rights. She didn't want him to be bullied. And yet she knew that hitting is not allowed in school. She wanted her son to resist returning violence for violence. And like any loving mom, I expect that she secretly wished that that other boy, the boy that hit first, the instigator, that he would have gotten punished as well. In fact, it would have even been better if that instigator would have been caught before her son retaliated. He hit me first. You know, that's the typical response of a child that's caught in retaliation. But I think us adults have to admit that we are not that much different. When we feel offended or when we feel attacked, inside of us we want to retaliate. We want revenge. And we might not say it, but we might think, you know what, they started it, and I want to whack them. Now, some of you maybe watch crime shows like my wife and I do, and I know in a crime show that whacking someone means knocking them off permanently. And so hopefully this morning, none of you have ever felt tempted to do something that severe when somebody offended you. But when we want to whack somebody, it could be that in our mind, we would really like to physically just smack them upside the head to straighten them out. Or maybe we come back at them with a verbal attack. Or we whack them with an insult that returns the insult that they gave us. You know, the old saying is, paybacks are You know what they are. Have you been there, though? Have you ever had that desire for revenge in your heart? And I know some of you, maybe a few of you are sitting there and you're thinking, you know what, I never do that. And that might be true, but I want to remind you you're in church. And God knows your heart. He knows what you've done in the past. He knows your thoughts. But probably a lot of us are being totally honest. And we have either whacked a few people in our time or we really wanted to. And I even see some smiles out there because you're remembering the time that you whacked somebody. It felt good. You know, there are times when even the most saintly people among us are tempted to retaliate. Someone breaks the law and they hurt us. Well, of course we want to whack them, right? Or this one I love... Someone tells you to calm down when you're already calm. Can't they see that? You want to shut down their smug comment. Or maybe a person betrays our trust. They reveal a secret about us, and it's terribly embarrassing, and we want to get even. Here's one that happens during our dating years. Maybe this happened to you, or maybe it will happen to you. You tell your best friend, about this girl you want to ask out, and you really like her. And then that bum of a friend turns around and asks her out himself. And you think, how could he do that? 
And to make matters worse, they become a couple. They become a sickeningly, publicly affectionate couple. Don't you want to whack them? I mean, both of them? We want revenge when somebody personally attacks us. We're tempted to retaliate when someone hurts our friend or our spouse or one of our children or our grandchildren or a kid in the neighborhood. I know this is true for some of you. Haven't you wanted to whack the person on social media who posts their totally wrong opinion? You know who you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that there are times when we don't want to turn the other cheek. We want to get even. We want revenge. We retaliate. And Father, I pray that this morning that Jesus' words would penetrate our heart, that his words would begin a change within us. Help us to look more like your son. Be with us this morning. Teach us. May our time together bring you glory. May we bless others as you have blessed us. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, most of you, I think, were here last week, and we talked about a, a topic that was challenging. It may have made some people uncomfortable. I know it made me uncomfortable. And the topic, if you remember, was sexual sin. And as I prepared for this week's message that comes also from the Sermon on the Mount, I realized that it really, in different ways, isn't much easier We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42, if you want to open your Bibles to that. And what Jesus said in these verses goes against our human nature. It goes against maybe what we were taught growing up. It might even sound kind of weak. But we can't ignore Jesus' words. If we want to follow Jesus, if we want to be his disciple, if we want to reflect the light of Christ to our world, we've got to take this passage to heart. Reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. Jesus said this. He said, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other one also. And if anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now right off the bat, Jesus' words there forbid retaliation. They deny our seeking revenge. They instead provide a godly response to evil. Jesus began with these words. He said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I think that is a very familiar statement. Even people that have never walked in a church know that statement, an eye for an eye. But the fact is, it gets misused so often. And one of the reasons that it gets misused is people only know the first part of this passage from Matthew. They're they're not familiar with what Jesus said next. And so they might use this term of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth to justify their desire for revenge. But there's an opposite extreme that we can approach those words. We look at those words and we might say, you know what, they sound harsh. They sound even cruel. An eye for an eye seems to suggest that we are to respond with violence to violence with violence. We use them to justify 
retaliation. Now you have to know when Jesus said those words, he was quoting the Old Testament, specifically some verses that are found in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And that eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth actually relates to a law that was existed back then called lex talionis, which is the law of retaliation. See, lex talionis was to be a guide in courtrooms. It actually wasn't for individuals who were seeking revenge. And the intent of this law was to limit the punishment the court could give out for certain crimes. Lex Talionis kept the guilty party from being punished too severely. Let me give you an example. If someone stole your ox, the law of Lex Talionis would not allow the court to award you four oxen from the perpetrator, the one who stole it, in return. Or here's another example. If you were injured by another person, but it wasn't life-threatening, the court was not allowed to condemn the guilty party to death. See, it limited the consequences for some specific crimes. And Jesus didn't oppose this law. What Jesus opposed, though, was this law being used to enact personal revenge. D.A. Carson wrote this. He said, The law was being dragged into the personal arena where it could scarcely foster even rough justice, but instead fostered bitterness, vengeance, and hatred. You and I aren't the judges. As individuals, justice is not our responsibility. We're not supposed to seek revenge. In Romans 13, Paul stated that the authorities, that governments are established to punish what is wrong. And beyond that, of course, God is the ultimate judge. And what Jesus was doing in this passage here was redirecting a retaliatory reaction. He was teaching a valuable lesson. And you could even say this lesson was simply this. Don't keep score. See, when we start keeping score... It leads to revenge. It leads for a desire for retaliation. It misuses the eye for an eye law. Probably many of you have heard the story about this husband and wife who had been married for several years. And the husband was talking to a friend one day and he said, You know, when we get in an argument, my wife gets all historical. And the friend replied, He said, Don't you mean hysterical? And the husband replied to him, he said, no, she gets historical. Every time we get in an argument, she brings up all the times in the past where I've messed up. She was keeping score. (coughs) She was keeping track of her husband's wrongs. And just so you know, this works the other way too. Scorekeeping festers in our heart. It breeds in us a desire to retaliate. But Jesus offered something different. He said, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. And Jesus not only said that, he demonstrated in his life. In 1 Peter, we're told that Jesus made no threats when he suffered unjustly. Instead, Jesus trusted justice to his heavenly Father. Now, before we go further, I need to say this, that not repaying evil with evil doesn't mean that we're pacifists. It doesn't mean that we just allow people to bully us, to take advantage of us, or whatever. No, we stand for what is right. We hold to the truth. Think about it. Jesus stood up to the Pharisees. And so this whole concept of knowing how to handle evil 
is challenging. It requires wisdom. We're going to get it wrong sometimes because then again, inside of us, we want to retaliate. We want to keep score. And in the rest of this passage for this morning, Jesus helps us to not keep score. He provides alternatives to retaliation. The first thing I think Jesus shows us is that forgiveness doesn't sacrifice justice. He said, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If there was ever a statement that went against our human nature, I think that's it. If we would have been there with Jesus that day, we might have raised our hand and said, excuse me, Jesus, are you really saying that I have to let somebody who hit me in the face once already do it another time just for fun? Well, yes and no. A, a face slap in Jesus' day was an insult. He was using it as a metaphor. We will be insulted at times because of our faith. And there's going to be other times in our life where we're going to feel like we were violated. We might feel like we were disrespected. We might feel like our honor was taken away from us. And our natural response to anybody who does something like that to us is to beat them down. We want to whack them. And Jesus says, don't do it. Paul echoed Jesus' teaching in Romans 12, verses 17 and 19. He said, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, he says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Then if we skip ahead to verse 21, Paul concluded by saying this. He said, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We might say kill him with kindness. But the words Paul wrote there make it clear that that old saying of, I don't get mad, I get even, it's not appropriate for those who follow Christ. It doesn't serve the kingdom. It brings us down. A well-known Christian artist, a musician from years ago, used to have a saying that he liked. He'd say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And then he'd pause for a moment, and he'd smile, and he'd say, I just want to be about the Lord's business. Of course, he was being sarcastic. He knew that vengeance and getting even is not our business. Instead, Jesus tells us we're to forgive. And we're not supposed to worry, get all caught up in defending our personal honor. Nobody can take your honor from you. Only our own words and our own actions can prove us to be dishonorable. And so leave justice up to God, but understand this, that forgiveness doesn't mean that we sacrifice justice. We forgive knowing that God is just. And knowing that God's just, that means we can gift-wrap our best coat. Jesus said, if anyone would sue you for your tunic, or would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Now those words are a little strange to us, but Jesus' original audience would have understood that perfectly. See, in a lawsuit in his time, a party might request repayment in the form of clothing. See, in those days, ordinary people didn't have very much. They might have had one pair of sandals. They might have had one change of clothing. 
You know, as I think about that, I've got enough clothes in my closet probably to, clo- to clothe an entire first century village. And I know some of you have enough that could clothe three or four villages. But because of the scarcity of clothing, the law permitted the seizure of a tunic, an undergarment in a lawsuit. It didn't allow the seizure of a person's outer garment, their cloak. See, a cloak might be their only outer clothing. They might have one. And it might have also been used as their bedtime blanket. The the message paraphrase of the Bible puts Jesus' words this way. It says, If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of that as well. What it's saying there is, not only do you and I not retaliate, we set an example with an incredibly unselfish attitude. We don't keep score. We don't worry about defending our personal honor. And then Jesus goes even further. He takes this example of the cloak one step further. He said, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And we might summarize what Jesus was saying there this way. Compassion drives the second mile. Now, if you remember back then, the Romans were the ones in power. They occupied the Jewish land. The Jewish people were under their control. And a Roman soldier could legally require a Jewish person to carry their equipment for a thousand paces, roughly a mile. And by the way, if you think about it, a Roman soldier's equipment most likely included their weapons. Seminary professor Dan Doriana wrote this about that. He said, you know, what an affront to be forced to help a foreign oppressor carry the very tools that are used to oppress you. To carry the very weapons that that soldier was using to control the people. But the Roman purpose here was very clear. They were using humiliation through force. And so, with that in mind, don't you see how challenging Jesus' teaching was? Jesus said, don't just do what the soldier can legally command you to do. Do twice as much. I mean... How could Jesus even suggest such a thing? Well, the answer actually has two parts. First, for us, we go the second mile because Jesus did it for us. Jesus forgave us. He died for us on the cross. He died for a bunch of sinners who deserve to go to hell. Jesus even prayed for the people who put him on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then we go the second mile out of compassion, the compassion that we have in us through Christ. Compassion, though, also brings a blessing. Our going the second mile may open the door to the gospel. Let me ask you to think about it. Why does this church give money and food items to feed my people? Why have we fed the homeless in the past? Why do we provide snacks and school supplies to our local public schools? Well, the first obvious answer is we do it because we demonstrate the compassion and love of Jesus Christ. We also do it to impact the hearts of the people who might oppose us. And we do it to open doors to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last August, Pastor David, Amber Crummel, and I took a a contact of ours from a local public school out to lunch. 
And we discussed the school's needs of how the, the needs of that school and how Bethesda might be able to address those needs. And as we talked, the topic of spirituality came up, and we talked to this person about this, but we were also able to share some things about our faith. We were able to share some things with our, about our faith with a person who maybe you could call a seeker. And that wouldn't have happened without compassion. It wouldn't have happened without seeking to build a relationship. Your generosity, your going the second mile in giving to the ministry of this church helped open the door for the gospel to be shared. And then finally, replacing revenge with compassion demonstrates our calling. We bless as we've been blessed. We bless as blessed. Jesus said, give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, he was probably not talking about somebody that's trying to scam you out of your money. He's talking about somebody who had a genuine need. Commentator Daniel Aiken summarized Jesus' words this way. He said, if you have the means to help somebody, jump in with both feet. Don't lecture him. Feed him. Don't shame him. Share with him what God has given you without expecting anything in return. And others added to this passage in commentaries, they say, be generous. A miser is no follower of Jesus. Christ will not tolerate a mercenary, tight-fisted, penny-pitching attitude. Don't always ask, well, what's in it for me? Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus came face to face with evil, and he returned grace. So don't keep score. Don't seek to get even. Instead, forgive. Live selflessly. Exude compassion. Bless as you've been blessed. And God will use your blessings to defeat evil. And then next Sunday, we're going to take this even a step further. We're going to talk about loving your enemies. Bring somebody along with you. Amen.